Well, good morning. Ernest Hemingway, the, uh, the well-known author, wrote a, a well-known uh, short story about a father and his teenage son. And in the story, something happened in the relationship, and the father and his son had an argument, and the teenage son ran away from home. The rest of the story uh, shows the father's search to find his son and bring him home. Finally, in Madrid, Spain, after a long uh, uh, try that hadn't worked out, he put an ad in the paper to, to attract his son. And the ad said, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day in front of the newspaper office, 800 young men named Paco were standing there. They were looking for forgiveness, looking for the love of their father, wanting to go home. Today, uh, as Wes announced, we're beginning a sermon series looking at the parables of Jesus Christ. I love the parables because they they really drive home uh, all sorts of themes and they they kind of get to the heart of of a matter. Uh, And the the parables obviously were something that Jesus used and taught well and effectively. And today we come to the most famous uh, parable of them all, the parable of the prodigal son, an older brother who was resentful and a loving father. It's a story about, about life. It's a story about broken relationships, relationships that are broken within a family, about somebody searching for love in all the wrong places. It's also a story of hope and of reconciliation and, and forgiveness and of generosity and of amazing grace. And I believe if we can really get a hold of this story and understand who the Father is and how much He loves us, it can change our lives. So let's dig in together. Turn with me, if you would, again to Luke 15. Uh, and we're going to look at this parable together. Uh, and before we jump into it, I want to do a short summary, and then we'll look at it from different angles. So the short summary is this. It starts at home, and one of the sons gets sick of being home. He's sick of his dad, sick of, of being at home, and he wants to be on his own. So he sets out, and he tries life on his own, and he gets sick again. This time he gets homesick, and he, and he goes home, and the father welcomes him, throws his arms out. They have a big party. And then the older brother is sick about all this. Now, as the story is being unpacked, it's pretty obvious that God is the father figure, right? And the two sons are like the two groups who are listening to Jesus teach this parable. Can we see that? Take a look at verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So the first group is, is the tax collectors and the sinners, and they are like the younger son. The second group is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're like the older son. And here's the issue. Jesus intends for us to see him in this parable. It's like he holds up a mirror to us and says, take a look at your life. Where are you in this, in this parable, this story? So let's take a look. Let's take a look and start with verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. Now, as we look at this story, there's a contrast running throughout the story. The contrast between the younger son, the rebel. He chafes under his father's care. He decides to go home, to leave home. And, of course, he needs funding for his, his, his pleasure trip. And so he asks for his inheritance. And he plans to use this to, to chase wine, women, and song. So he comes to his father. He approaches his father and says... I want my inheritance. I I like it now. And his father says, I I don't think you understand. Um, This 
this doesn't kick in until after I die. And the son says, exactly. I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. I'm sick of you. I'm leaving. I want your things, but I don't want you. So the father in the story is a bit like God and the younger son. If we think about it, it's like a lot of people, maybe some of us who act as if God doesn't exist. If he see, if it's, if he's maybe irrelevant, we, we want God's gifts. We want his blessings. Each breath we take, the opportunities we have in life, the beauty of his creation. But we don't want anything to do with the giver. We just want the gifts, just want the blessings. Verse 12, the younger one said to his father, give me my share of the inheritance. And surprisingly, the father does. Why would he do that? He doesn't have to. It's, it's a rude request. It's offensive. But he gives the inheritance to the son and the son leaves. And we can picture this son walking down the driveway, his pocket bulging with his inheritance, convinced that life apart from the father is the way to go, that pleasure will surely lead to happiness. And so he strikes off on his own. Let's take a look now at the older son and the other contrast, other side of the contrast. He's what you would call the the good son, you know, the establishment figure. Take a look at verse 29. When we first see him, he's having an argument with his father. He says, look, after all, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. So this is the good son, the upstanding, good, moral person. He's joined the family firm. He's hardworking. He's a dutiful child. And wherever the father is, you're likely to find him. Go to church. The father's there. The son's there. Go to the country club. The father's there. The son's there. Go to the chamber of commerce. The father's there. The son's there. He's very respectful. And he's, and he's very different from his brother. Nothing like the younger brother. But... When we look at the story, he's not that much like his father either. Take a look at verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now we have another contrast. This time the contrast is between the father and the older brother. The father whom the younger brother essentially said, I wish you were dead. He gives him the middle finger. He, he, he runs off, but the father, when he sees him come home, runs to him and welcomes him and says, My son... But the older brother says that son of yours, he can't even admit they're from the same gene pool. You see, the older brother thought he was this paragon of virtue. In his mind, he'd done everything right. Always done what he was supposed to do. But as we look at this story, he's as far away from the father as his younger brother was ever in the pigsty. You see, if you want to see God in terms of religion, then these two boys are very different. But if you want to see God in terms of relationship, well, both these sons are out of relationship with their father. They're both out of relationship. One's religious, one's not. One's respectable, one is not. But they're both out of a right relationship with their father. The difference is the younger son knew it, but the older son did not. So the question for us this morning is, is where in your relationship with the father are you? If you're like the younger son and you've rebelled against God, then you know it. 
And if you're, that describes you, then I'm glad you're here today because God the Father is always ready to welcome you home. But if you're not in that situation, the question we want to ask is, are you like the older brother? Is your relationship with the Father alive and vital and healthy? Or is it more like a frigid marriage that has the, the appearance of respectability as opposed to a lifelong relationship of, of mutual service and love and respect and communication? So how do we diagnose ourselves? Well, I think we can tell if we're an older brother or tending that way by a couple of things. One is our response to other people. And the other is our response to God. If our religion makes us feel superior to others, we're an older brother. If we're filled with resentment when others receive undeserved blessings, we're like an older brother. If we begin to feel as if God owes us something, we're an older brother. If we demand justice, not mercy in God's dealings with other people, we're an older brother. If we have a cause and effect relationship with God, I do this, God, then you have to do this. We're an older brother. And if we have these feelings and we think these things, we're as far off in our relationship with the Father as those who are prodigals. So we have the good son and the prodigal, seemingly very different. But they're alike in that they have missed the point in the relationship with the Father. One's blatantly rebellious, a runaway. The other's a rule keeper, but he lacks grace and mercy. Next thing we see is that these two brothers make a discovery about the father. They're both equally welcomed. To one of the brothers, that's an affront. It's offensive. The other, it's, it's humbling. And it's a gift. So the younger brother, he's been enjoying his life, squandering his wealth. But he discovers that all his wild living provides is instant gratification, but it's hollow. He's only got one life and he's wasting it. That's what prodigal means. Someone who extravagantly and recklessly wastes resources. And so he's left home thinking he needs to do it to find freedom and independence. But instead what he finds is bondage and despair. And then we come to the, the hinge of the story in verse 17 where it says, when he came to his senses. In other words, he understands the reality of his situation. How could I be so blind? How could I have treated my father like this? And he starts to see himself as he really is, alone and helpless and empty, in a pigsty. And he begins to understand who his father is. He says to himself, I just don't lack food. I also lack my father. And he makes a decision. Verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's sick again, but he's homesick. And home really isn't a place. We have these strong attachments to maybe grandma and grandpa's house or the homestead or an area or town we grew up in. 
And that's all in good, but but home really is about relationships, right? Home is where we belong and where we're accepted and loved, no matter what. And that's what the younger son is missing. Because he's learned that the relationships that he had with these so-called friends, it was conditional. The money runs out, they're gone. They don't help him. And that's the way much of the world works, right? If um, you meet my expectations, you don't disappoint me, I'll accept you. If you have the right friends, do the right things, avoid certain people, laugh at my jokes, I'll accept you. If you don't get fat, you stay attractive, I'll accept you. But home is where we are loved no matter what. And so the younger brother says to himself, I've got to go home. And so he sets off. And then something remarkable happens. The father sees him. And what does he do? Does he stand on the porch with his arms crossed and say, this better be good. This better be good. I'll see what he has to say, but this better be good. No. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. Now think about this. If the parable is making God out to be the father figure, just think about that. The father doesn't wait for the son to come all the way to him. He could have been justified in doing that. He doesn't wait to see if the apology is sincere. He doesn't make him grovel, doesn't put him on probation, doesn't make him prove himself. He throws protocol to the wind. And he rushes to his son, arms open wide, no doubt calling out, my son. And it's beautiful. And the younger son receives a robe and a ring and sandals and a feast. And he realizes something about his father that if he had earlier, he never would have left home in the first place. And it's how good and loving and generous his father is. Everything was his to begin with. He didn't have to leave home to get his. The father would give and give and give and give, because that's what he does. That's who he is. You see, the question this parable is asking is, do we understand the nature of God? Do we understand his love, his grace, his generosity? Do we understand it? In light of what we have done, in light of who we are, we should be positively stunned by what he does for us, what he has done, what he will do for us. We have a little bit left, so let's go back to the story. You know, it's really fortunate for the prodigal son, the younger brother, that, that it was the dad who saw him first, not his older brother, because listen to, it would have been a much different response. Listen to the older brother, what he has to say in verse 29. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. In other words, this is not fair. This is wrong. The wonderful thing about the Christian faith, though, is that we have a very different older brother, Jesus Christ, God's son, who earned the ring, who earned the robe, who lived the perfect life. But at the end of his life, he stripped of his robe, he stripped of his ring, he doesn't get the fattened calf. He gets the cross. He gets vinegar to drink on the cross. And he gets the end of a spear. And Jesus, the true older brother, the son of God on the cross, 
in essence, says the only way for you to be clothed is for me to be stripped. The only way for you to have the ring and the robe is for me to lose them. And so Jesus dies on the cross. He points to the cross. He points to the Father and says, Go home. Go home. And there's only one thing that can, that can keep us from staying in that far country. Separated from God with no friends, no prospects, where no one gives us anything, totally all alone, which is really a pretty good description of hell, if you think about it. The only thing that blocks us from that is Jesus' death on the cross where he paid for our sins and points us to the Father and says, go home. But of course, he doesn't make us go home, does he? And the older brother, at least what we see in the story, doesn't. He thinks he's home. He's in the vicinity. He's in the house. But he's not home. And that's the true tragedy in this parable. The father says to him in verse 31, My son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Everything. But he doesn't realize it. He can't receive it because he... That's not the way things are supposed to work. He wants things set up so people get what they deserve, right? He wants justice. Forget about mercy. He thinks being respectable, a good person, is enough. But it, it isn't. Never has been. Never will be. It's always been about the Father's love and grace and generosity. There's an old tale that tells of a a man who dies and he faces the, an angel, the angel Gabriel at the gates of heaven. And the angel says, here's how this works. You need 100 points to get into heaven. You tell me the good things you've done in your life and I will sign you points accordingly. You get to 100, you get in. The man says, okay, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, always faithful, even in my heart, never cheated on her. That's wonderful. You get, you get three points. Three points. Well, I attended church all my life, and I supported this ministry with my money and service. Wonderful. That's certainly worth a point. A point? Well, how about this? I opened a shelter for the homeless in my city. I fed needy people by the hundreds during holidays. Fantastic. That's good for two points. Two points. At this rate, the only way I will get into heaven is by the grace of God. Come on in. (laughs) So it is with us. We have a Father in heaven who has unspeakable riches and he is longing to share them with us. He is longing for us to come home. And the way to come home is through faith in the perfect older brother, his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. Come home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we, we look at this story and if we're honest, there have been times we've been the younger brother and times we've been the older brother. The one constant in the story, though, Lord, is, is your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy, your generosity. So, Father, this morning we come to you and in our hearts we, we come to you with humility we throw ourselves at your feet. Lord, if, if some of us perhaps feel a long way from home, but Lord, the good news is that we can always come home. 
yet you're always willing, always welcome to receive us home. So, Father, we come to you today, humbly and gratefully. We put our trust in you, and we say that we love you. Thank you that we can come home. In Jesus' name, amen.